Do not be bound together with unbelievers, for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Good morning. Um, little inside baseball. One of the last things you do when preparing a sermon is finding illustrations. Because you don't want to find a good illustration and then change your whole sermon. Okay? That's what I found. There's a funeral of a lady in the church, Hazel. She was 94. She passed away. She left instructions for her funeral. 94. She wrote, there will be no male pallbearers at my funeral. No male pallbearers at her funeral. She's 94. She's a woman. She said, quote, they wouldn't take me out when I was alive. I don't want to take them to take me out when I'm dead. Now, see, if I would have found that illustration on Thursday or Wednesday, I would have made the whole sermon around it. But since that's, that was for free, okay? We're in Romans. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Uh, if you have your finger in 2 Corinthians 7, keep your finger there or a piece of paper there or something there. We'll be going back to it in a minute. But I want you to notice Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 is about <clears throat> sanctification, setting yourself apart from the sins of this world so that you are more holy, more set apart for God. So, it's the process of shaping your spiritual walk to being more like Jesus Christ. And I want you to understand that the spiritual power to defeat the temptation to sin is only and directly connected to the Holy Spirit working in your life. Okay? So, if the Holy Spirit is not in your life, working in your heart, working in your life, your soul, whatever you want to call it, your non-material part of you, that Holy Spirit has to be working so that you can withstand temptation to sin. Now, if you do not have the Holy Spirit within you, if the Holy Spirit is not indwelling you, uh, you have not been justified, you've not been saved, you've not accepted the gospel message, you've not done all that, 
then there's no barrier or power to defeat sin. You will lose every single time. You will lose. Even if you seem to do something good, you will be doing something evil. Okay? Because you cannot withstand the temptation to sin. So, chapter 6 is talking about how you can be victorious over sin. How you can have victory over sin. And I just want to make sure that you understand the first way is making sure you have a relationship with God through the work of Jesus Christ and that the Holy Spirit is empowering you to say no to sin. Say no to sin. Now, we are in a church. And the problems we have in church is a lot different than problems outside the church. So sometimes Satan has to work harder to get sin in here. Sometimes he has an easy way, sometimes it's a little harder, but he has to get sin in here however he can. This is what happened at one church. They were having a major dispute. A major dispute. You know what that is? Church terms. That's an argument. Okay? They're having an argument. Guess what the argument was about? Go ahead, ask me. Good question. The argument about was having the, the suppers and where you put the pies. Where you put the pies. <sighs> where the pies should go in the kitchen prior to serving the pies for dessert. One woman actually left the church because there were several newcomers to the church that were putting pies in places where pies don't go in the kitchen. And it started an argument in the church and a division in the church. She said, quote, it's not right to do it. We've never done it that way before. And I'm not going to be a part of doing it that way now. I won't have any part in that kind of thing. Those new people are going to ruin this church. They don't know anything. Can you hear her voice getting higher? They aren't even around from here. They're not even around from here. They're new people. They're doing things crazy. They're putting pies in the wrong place. And all of a sudden, you got a big mess in a church over pies. I've seen it happen over tiles. I've seen it happen. Satan has to work hard to get sin into a church, and he does it, and he does use silly, simple ways of messing us up and getting us to sin. But the fact of the matter is that God gives us a way to have victory over sin. And that, number one, is through the Holy Spirit. He empowers us to overcome the temptation and realize that it doesn't matter where you put the pie. It doesn't matter. Look at Romans chapter 6, verse 19. 
verse 19. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so that now present your, your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Resulting in sanctification. Here you go. The question for this morning. Where does the believer win supernatural victory over the old self? The old self is what Paul says in chapter 6 about your sin nature. About the temptation to sin. Where it comes from and where it is. It comes from the old self. comes from that sin nature that still is hanging around. And you give in to that sin nature and sin. He says, first off, I'm speaking in human terms. He says he doesn't like the illustration he's using. He's using an illustration of slavery and masters. Slavery and masters. He's using it and he's trying to explain a spiritual truth. Where does the believer win supernatural victory over the old self? First thing you've got to learn. Number one. A believer's mind is set upon being spiritually strong. A believer's mind is set upon being spiritually strong. If you do not train up your spiritual mind, you will be weak. And Paul describes it here, he calls it weakness in the flesh. You will be weak. Therefore, every little bitty sin about where you put a pie for the church dinner will cause an argument and a big fight and a division in the church. If you are still living by the flesh and the weakness of the flesh, you will give in to every little sin. So your goal to have victory over sin is to grow spiritually. To grow spiritually. To grow in your spiritual walk with God. Now there's a lot of ways we can do that. A lot of ways we can do it. And I think Paul gives us a good example of how we do that here. You have to have strength that comes supernaturally from God. Primarily through the Holy Spirit. He is talking about slavery and being masters over slave. He talks about master of sin and death being over a non-believer. And the victory that a believer has over that power through the work of Jesus Christ. Because the weakness of your flesh, naturally, you will be weak. You will be weak in your thinking and you will fall to the easiest sin. First thing Paul says here is you need to be spiritually stronger. How? Well, I think he says that in the next phrase. And the next, and the next. Because, I'm speaking in human terms, verse 19, because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented your members to slaves to impurity. Slaves to impurity. Number two. What does the believer win? How does the believer win? Where does the believer win? The supernatural victory over self. The old self. How do you win? Number two. A believer's mind is set upon 
pureness of thoughts, pure thoughts, pure in thoughts. You have purity in your thinking, purity in your thinking. Now, I want you to notice the word here. You have to present yourself. That's present tense. It's talking about presenting yourself to impurity. Impurity is where you are slave to the wrong thinking. Impurity is where the thinking begins and you think the wrong way about the wrong issue. If you have an argument over a pie placing, you, your mind is not in the right place. It starts with impurity. Here we go. Notice the words, you are mem- you pre- your members as slaves. Now, we don't have the issue of slavery much, very much today. But back then, when Paul wrote this, 50% of the people were slaves. 50% of the people were slaves. And guess what? We had a majority in the churches of slaves in the church. <clears throat> there were about 60 million of them in that day and age. Many of the slaves were well-educated. And part of their job was to teach the young kids and give them the education. They were people that... Uh, okay, here you go. You remember in the, the Civil War and the earlier colony times... The thing we did then was a little bit different than the slavery we had in Paul's day. The slavery we had at Paul's day, a person chose to be a slave. Or you were born to be a slave. What happened in, the, in our early history is we took people from another place and brought them here and forced them to be slaves. Different pattern. Different work. That's why churches were against slavery in the beginning. That's why we came up with different church denominations during that time period because we were seeing biblical problems with this. But the slavery issue we had then in Paul's day at 50% is very similar to the percentage of Americans today that are working for somebody. You know what a percentage of people working for somebody is? Last year, 57%. 57% work for somebody. Now that takes out the people that are too young to work. That takes out the people too old to work. And that takes out the people who own the companies. And it leaves you with about 57%. Which is interesting. We have almost a similar amount of people... <laughs> doing jobs now that were doing jobs in Paul's day. So he says, do not be a slave to impurity. Do not allow impurity to take control of your thinking. Uh, Romans chapter 1 verse 24, I'll just read it to you. Therefore God gave them over to the lust of their hearts to impurity. It comes from the heart. Impurity begins in the heart. Many times it's used in a sexual way, but however you use that that term for sin, it begins in your thinking. Do not let sin begin in your thinking. 
You need to have your thoughts on pure thoughts. <sighs> this afternoon, when you're doing something and you think something evil, you need to confess it and repent. Because that's the beginning of a sinful action. Be careful with what you think about. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7 says, For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but for sanctification. He called you so you would be sanctified, set apart to holiness. So, first thing you got to do is you got to be spiritually mature to have victory over sin. Second, you have to have, be pure in your thoughts. Watch your thoughts. Watch your thoughts. Even right now, watch your thoughts. <laughs> Here we go. Middle of verse 19. Present your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness. And to lawlessness. Where is the believer to win the supernatural victory over the old self? Number three. A believer's mind is set upon being obedient to the commands of God. Being obedient to the commands of God. Lawlessness. Lawlessness <clears throat> seems to be talking about actions that you do that take place when God tells you not to do something. And instead of you obeying God, you don't obey God, and therefore you're doing something lawless, and you're doing something anti-law, anti-what God says, and you are sinning. In other words, as you are spiritually growing in your maturity, you get to know the Bible and know what God says to do and not do, and then when you read something and it says, well, that's good for Pastor David, he needs to hear that verse, but I don't need to obey that verse. What you're doing is you're doing lawlessness. You are doing an outward state of sin, an action of sin. Lawless conduct only results in the habit or state of lawlessness. You then go from impurity, which is in your brain, your mind, your thinking, and then it comes out in your actions. So, if you want to be victorious over sin by the power of the Holy Spirit, you have to control your thinking and then you also have to control your actions. And you have to be obedient to the commands of God, which means you need to study this book. Learn what God commands. And then, guess what? Obey the commands that He gives. If you do not obey the commands, that is sin, and that is lawlessness. Uh, say this afternoon, uh, you, you, uh, oh, there you go. You think a bad thought about your pastor. You say, boy, next Sunday morning, I really wish he would lose his voice. You think that thought, and then you think, oh, I know what will do it. I'll make him some tea, and I'll send it over to his house as a gift, and I'll put a bow on it, and if he drinks it before church, his voice will lose it, and that'll be that. It'll be the shortest sermon ever. When you get your thoughts out of control, and then you get your actions out of control, you do things 
that are lawless. Something unlawful. And you sin. Back to verse 19. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness. Next phrase. Resulting in further lawlessness. Resulting in further lawlessness. Where does the believer with, win with supernatural victory over the old self? Number four, a believer's mind is set upon being free from habitual sins. Free from habitual sins. These are sins that you think may be spiritual gifts to you. And you are very good at them. And you do it without even thinking. And it happens... It happens when you least expect it. When you're going down the road and somebody cuts you off. When you hit your thumb with a hammer and words come out of you. When you do something and you then make it such a habit that it happens all the time. And you you know what I heard one time? I heard a, a church member that was sinning and I heard another church member say, oh, that's just Fred. Oh, that's just how he is. No, it's sin. It's sin. And doesn't matter how many times you do it, you have to break those habitual sins. Now, the way you break habitual sins are you somehow control your thinking of impurity and your actions of lawlessness and you stop the result of committing more lawlessness by allowing the power of the Holy Spirit to have victory over that sin. After a a sinner shows his ability to sin, he will then sin some more. If a sinner has evil thoughts, he will have evil actions, and guess what will happen? He will have more evil thoughts and evil actions. Non-believers are slaves to sin, so that they always carry out the desires of their sinful masters. And they will sin. And they will sin. And they will sin. There was a, back in the 1930s, there was a writer. His name was Sinclair Lewis. Sinclair Lewis. He actually won a Nobel Peace Prize in literature in 1930. He, uh, he, well, let's put it this way, he was not a believer. Matter of fact, one of the things he liked doing was making fun of churchgoers. And in his writings, he would always have something bad to say about a churchgoer. And one time, he wrote a book, and the whole book was about churchgoers. And he made fun of them, made fun of them, made fun of them. And he made one character in the book, was an evangelist, and made him alcoholic, and a fornicator, and a thief in his book. And the interesting thing was, Sinclair Lewis died. And certain things were found out about his history. And guess what three things they found out about him? That he was an alcoholic, a fornicator, and a thief. It's amazing that sometimes... 
a sinful life, controlled by a sinful mind, controlled by sinful actions, will repeat it and be more sinful. And eventually it becomes so controlling that you think everybody is like you. And sin spreads and spreads and spreads. And I think you would agree with me that it seems like our country has spread and spread and spread. And it's getting harder and harder to be a Bible-believing believer. Here we go. Number five, the end of verse 19. Resulting in further lawlessness, so that now present your members as slaves to righteousness. Number five, where does the believer win supernatural victory over the old self? Number five, a believer's mind is set upon being an example of the justice of God. The justice of God. Remember, we've talked about righteousness before in chapter six. Righteousness correlates with the justice of God. The justice of God is the outflowing of the righteousness of God. So, one thing that the believer has to do in order to be controlling and have victory over sin, he's got to control his, his mind, he's got to control his actions, he's got to control the habitual sins that he commits, and then he has to positively, outwardly, be a promoter of the justice of God. Now, I do not mean, like I said before, I do not mean social justice. Okay, because that, that has been politically taken over and now means more th- sinful things rather than the righteousness of God. But biblically, when it says righteous, it means to act justly. To act justly. Notice the imperative one-time action of presenting your members to righteousness. It should be a one-time decision. You change and make yourself a new slave of righteousness. You are doing this because Jesus Christ died to sin and you by faith have placed your trust in Jesus Christ so that you can have freedom from the power of sin and choose to serve righteousness. You are becoming a slave to righteousness. Paul explains that Christians ought to have the same zeal or effort that you had for producing sin, you have to have the same effort and zeal for producing righteousness now. A believer doing the righteous actions should lead to further righteousness. You do righteousness once, you should be able to do righteousness twice this week. Next week, you can do righteousness three times. You do more righteousness. By producing the righteousness, it starts with your thoughts, righteous thoughts, then righteous actions, and you are promoting God's righteousness, and you are doing the more righteous thing, and God is glorified. God's righteousness is not a system of laws or ethics, but it's his character being revealed. Then the end of verse 19. Your members are slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Resulting in sanctification. What does the believer win? How does the believer win with supernatural victory over the old self? Number six, the believer's mind is set upon being an example of the holiness of God. The holiness of God. Remember we talked about sanctification before. 
It refers to, has root word of, holiness. It means your actions are more holy uh, than you were when you were a sinner, doing the immorality and lawlessness thing. You are now doing the righteous thing, and you're producing a life that's more holy this week than last week, and you are producing holiness, and you are being sanctified and growing in your walk with God. Sanctification. Remember, we gave you a definition a number of weeks ago. Sanctification is positionally accomplished once for all at the moment of salvation. At salvation, when you are justified, you are sanctified. But then there's an aspect of sanctification which makes you get better or stronger spiritually each and every week. It's a lifelong process of cleaning out the sinfulness in your actions and changing your mindset so that the believer can reflect the character of Jesus Christ. Sanctification. Now, this term comes up three times in Romans, and this is the first of three times, and it seems to come without an article, which seems to mean that maybe sanctification is not a completed action. It's something you do every day. Sanctification takes the sinner from being world-centered to God-centered. The service of righteousness in itself leads to sanctification. In other words, you cannot have sanctification without righteousness. You cannot have righteousness without sanctification. They go together. When you have one, you have the other, and you are to grow stronger in both of them. So, now, we've, we've gone through the verse, and I thought we'd only have time for one verse, and we do. But, I get paid for a full 50-minute sermon. Okay? So I'm going to give you a couple extra points here. Five. Five extra points on how you can be better at getting more sanctified, more victory over sin. Okay? How you can do it. We're going to turn to five passages really quickly, and we're going to come up with five different ways of how you can be stronger in your holiness, in your righteousness, in your actions, in your thought life, in your habitual life, so you can be stronger spiritually, so you can be better this week than you were last week in your battle with sin. You ready? Oh, come on, you're not leaning forward enough. Are you ready? Here we go. We're going to go quickly. We're going to go quickly. Here you go, first one. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Back where we did the scripture reading. You know we're always going to hit the scripture reading sometime, some way. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore... Having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, the question, what are some additional ways a believer can increase his holiness? Increase your sanctification. How can you get better at it? Number one, A believer's mind is set upon loving God more. You set your mind 
on loving God more. You love God more, you will sin less. You will love God more, he will control your thoughts, he'll control your actions, he'll control you through the power of the Holy Spirit, he'll control you so that you can do the righteous action this week. He says, let us cleanse ourselves. Cleansing ourselves is the work of sanctification. This is what you do. Let us cleanse ourselves. It's the part of the work that sanctification takes place in your life. You clean yourself of sin from all defilement of the flesh and spirit. You do with your actions and your thought life. Perfecting holiness. Perfecting holiness. You Present tense here, by the way. Present tense. Perfecting. Every day you perfect your holiness. Every day you get up and say, how can I be more holy today than I was yesterday? You, you can put something on your bathroom mirror. Be holy today. You want to be holy. Paul urges you to prove, move, work so you are perfectly holy. You want to be perfected in your holiness. Now, you will not get there while you still have your sin nature, your old nature. But you will one day when you get to heaven. And in between now and then, you can get better at your temptation to sin. You can get stronger to defeat it. A desire for holiness is a characteristic of a believer. Of a believer. Take your Bibles. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to be moving fast. Put on your fast fingers. Here we go. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11, 12, and 13. We're going to look at the whole paragraph. 11, 12, and 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. If you get, went to Timothy, you got too far. Go back left. <clears throat> get to Titus. Go back left. 1 Thessalonians. You get to 2 Thessalonians. You've gone too far. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11. Notice what it says. Now may our God and Father himself and Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in the love for one another and for all people just as we also do for you so that you may so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all the saints what are some additional ways a believer can increase his holiness? Number two, a believer's mind set upon loving others more. You set your mind on loving others more. This is the number one way that pastors win the battle with sin. They do it because they love their church. So they defeat sin <laughs> Because of their love for the congregation. And you need to have a group of believers in your life that you love. And that you grow in your love for them. And as you grow in your love for them, one of the things you will stop doing is thinking evil thoughts and doing evil actions and doing them habitually. If you love God and you love others you will stop doing sinful things. 
<clears throat> There's a direct connection between love and holiness. Hope you're getting that. Abounding in love sanctifies my Christian character. If I am bound in love, I will decrease in sin. Blameless. I'll be blameless like a sacrifice. Acceptable to God. I'll, I'll, there'll be no charge or accusation against me because I'll be blameless. I'll abound in love as a Christian should. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. I told you I'd be fast. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 17. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 17. So, so far the two best ways to increase your righteousness or sanctification or holiness is by loving God and loving others. Third. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 17. Get the second Peter, you went too far. If you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during their time of stay on earth. Verse 17 says, If you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself in fear during your time of stay on the earth. What are some additional ways a believer can increase his holiness? Number three, a believer... A believer's mind is set upon loving, let's put it this way, theology more. Theology more. What the Bible says about God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, about sin, life, how we're to live, the future, uh, the church, all, everything, what the Bible teaches us. We are to grow in that. And if you grow in that and you love growing in that, you will increase the ability you have to say no to sin and yes to God. A believer's mind is set upon loving theology more. Holiness will make the believer more careful about his conduct and theology. Correct fear of God comes from understanding his holiness and theology. What he believes, what he is, what he teaches he is, what he shows he is, what he reveals he is. If you have the right view of God, you'll have the right view of life. And you will live righteous actions. You need to have a correct view of God and the theology of God. You have an understanding of what the Bible means, and you can put it together and explain it, and you apply that to your life, it changes your thoughts. And it changes your actions. And it changes your habits. And you'll live differently. Go to John. Back the other way. John chapter 15. Uh, this one should be easy. Your Bible should automatically open. John chapter 15. Uh, we end up here all the time. John 15 verse 2. John 15 verse 2. What are some additional ways a believer can increase his holiness? Verse 2. Notice what it says. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it bears, what's the word? More fruit. More fruit. Now, let me, let me, let me explain this really good. In uh, Fabaris International Version, it does not mean that God makes your life softer. 
It doesn't make your sofa easier, comforter. It gives you more... No, it means that the best thing... Listen, I didn't say it. Jesus said it. The best thing in your life that can happen to this week is a hardship. Whoa, you didn't throw anything. That's good. I thought I'd get at least one. The best thing that can happen to you this week is a hardship. Because a hardship that comes from the hand of God, through the hand of God, through your circumstances, your car gets stolen, your car gets in an accident, your, your house burns down, uh, your, your, you lose your job, whatever the doctor says something mean to you. Whatever happens this week that's a hardship for you is what, first, that what John 15.2 says, pruning. Pruning. Every hardship that happens in your life, whatever difficulty you have, whatever bad thing happens to you, however you rate that this week, it is allowed into your life so that you will produce more fruit. By the way, what more fruit? More righteousness, more holiness, more Christ-likeness. You will produce more like Jesus Christ. What are the options? I like another option here, Pastor. Give me another option. Okay, I'll give you the other option. The other option is to be cut off. And according to the, par- the parable here, that means a reservation and lake of fire. So either option is you are cut off and put in the lake of fire, or you're part of the kingdom of God and you produce fruit and you get rewarded by that, by a hardship, so that you can produce more fruit. We complain too much about the hardships in our lives. I do it, you do it. We complain. We immediately go, wait a minute, did I miss my quiet time this week? Oh, only once. And we think that something we did bad got us the hardship. No. God looked down on you with loving eyes and gave you a hardship so that you would produce more fruit. Listen. Listen, 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 listen. You spiritually will grow more by hardships this week than if everything is easy. You'll grow less if everything is easy. You'll grow more fruit if things are difficult. (sighs) He prunes. Pruning is removing defilement that hinders our fruitfulness. God wants you to be fruitful. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. What? What about it? You know it. I gave it to you already. A believer's mind is set upon loving pruning more. Couldn't think of a better word. Pruning. When God prunes you, you get more fruit. Pruning. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 19 and 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, 
and whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. You have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. What are some additional ways a believer can increase his holiness? Number five, a believer's mind is set upon loving ownership more. Loving ownership more. If you have been saved, if you have been justified, if you heard the gospel message and repented of your sins, place your faith in God, if you accepted the gift from God, guess what? That makes you owned by a new master. See what the verse says? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Who paid the price? Jesus Christ. You have three owners in your life. Now, if you got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in your life, in leadership of your life, do you think they want you to waste your time this next week sinning? No. They want you to produce fruit. The fruit. Believers belong to God. The cleansing you produce in your life, the holiness you produce in your life, every time you say no to sin in your life, you give glory to God who bought you, who paid for you, who secured you, who sealed you. You have been given over to God. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to help you glorify God in your body, in your actions, in the way you live. Everything you do between now and the time God calls you to heaven. You are given those opportunities to serve Him, produce fruit, go through the hardships, trust His promises, trust His word, trust Him, love Him. Serve Him. Love others. You grow in your love and you grow in your obedience. You grow in your holiness. You grow in your worship of God. You grow. And you will be more sanctified next Sunday than you were this Sunday. You'll grow. You'll grow. Here you go. Will I slow down the battle in my mind and my actions as I seek to obey the commands of God so that I will slow down the war with habitual sins to be an example to my friends of God's justice and holiness, all with the help of the Holy Spirit. All with the help of the Holy Spirit. There is a guy named Michael going to Princeton Theological Seminary back in the days when it was a good seminary. He was going to seminary because God was calling him into the ministry and he got an undergraduate degree in business and his parents hoped that after seminary he would resume his original pursuit in finance. That he would go get a job in finance and make money and be happy. That's what his parents wanted for him. He wanted to be happy. Instead, after graduation, he went to Mexico. And he shared the gospel message in a ghetto in Mexico. 
And he lived there sharing the gospel for several months. And then finally he went home to visit his parents. And his dad said to him, Are you done wasting your time? Are you done wasting your time? Are you done wasting your time and talents in that ghetto? And the son responded back to his dad and said, quote, It's impossible for me to believe that helping someone could ever be considered a waste of time or talent. Unquote. The problem in the story is Michael's dad was a pastor of a church. He didn't want a missionary for a son. He wanted a businessman for his son. He wanted his son to be wealthy instead of being poor in a ghetto. He wanted his son to please his own needs rather than pleasing God. And he was a pastor. This week, as your pastor, I'll tell you what God wants from us. He wants less sin and more holiness. Whatever you can do to be obedient, to produce fruit, to handle hardships, to watch your thinking, to watch your actions, to watch your words, to watch your habitual sins, to watch out. Because everything you do hurts you in your endeavor to please God with your life. Please God this week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time in your word. I pray, Father, you would help me, help all of us, Father, to try to live a life pleasing to you, saying no to sin, and yes to righteousness. Help us understand, Father, that we can only be a mastered by one, either sin or righteousness. And Father, we need desire righteousness as our master. We need to do the right thing. We need to promote the justice of God. We need to do what God wants us to do and what he commands so that we stay away from the lawlessness and impurity that comes with sin. I pray, Father, you would help all of us with our battle with sin, that we do the righteous thing this week, that we would understand the hardships and why they come, we would grow in our love for God, love for others, that we would love others and keep from sinning. I pray you be with us, Father. Help us with this battle. It will never ending battle until the day we die. But help us to be more fruitful this week than we were last week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.